All right, if you could get your Bibles back out and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 18, we're going to look at that. I'm humbled to be here this evening standing before you, and um, I have spent much time pleading with God for bread to deliver to you, and each and every one has their own needs. I do understand that, and I also understand that probably on every pew, look behind you, look in front of you, to the left and right, there sits a hurting heart. Somebody who has been hurt in some fashion or form, often it's by other people, sometimes family members, sometimes events. And I, I have prayed that God will give you the bread, the sufficiency of his spirit that speaks to you, because there are. And if you sat where I sat on a daily basis, you would get it. And tomorrow, I will sit before six different people, and I know that all of them are troubled. All of them have been hurt, and sometimes it's in marriages. And often, the people that are closest to us have the greatest potential to hurt us, and that so happens to be marriage. I wish it weren't so. I wish we didn't have a sinful nature. I really do. And I look forward to seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. I really, really, truly do when there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, and we'll be comforted by our Savior himself. That will be a wonderful day. I'm gonna preach on this subject, changing history through prayer. Changing history through prayer. There's a beautiful story in the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis that if you don't really capture it all, you won't see it, but this is what takes place is the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in epiphany, some call it, or a theophany. Uh, but nevertheless, it was a pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ that appeared to Abraham and those that were with him. It's a wonderful thing when God appears to us. And it's not very often and not that I know of in modern day New Testament dispensation of grace that God reveals himself in a physical body, but he reveals himself to me through his Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Aren't you glad the Spirit of God convicts us? Aren't you glad that the Spirit of God guides us? Aren't you glad that the Spirit of God comforts us? We all need that plus much, much more. And so we see in verse number 16, and the men rose up, for, excuse me, verse 17, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Now here we have Abraham and the Lord Jesus Christ walking and talking together. And of course, he is, Abraham is called a friend of God. Are you a friend of God? That's a tough question. That's a real question. And so I want to be a friend of God, but you know what? When I look at the faith of Abraham and I look at my faith, sometimes I have to question, am I a friend of God? I want to be. And I think all of us should want to be a friend of God, but I think... They, they really had a connection. And we're going to see here in these first few, few verses here the respect and the confidence that God had in Abraham. He said, and I'm not clear whether God was talking to Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ was talking to Abraham or to himself or to the people there, but he says, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? What's he talking about? The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then it goes on, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And then the confident statement he makes about Abraham, for I know him, that he will command his children 
and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. Beautiful story here, the respect, the confidence that the Lord Jesus Christ places in Abraham. But you know what? There were some things that had to happen that did that without going into the story, but I think his faith won the favor of God. I really do. Let me remind each and every one of us, it is impossible. It is impossible. It is impossible to please God without faith. Are you walking by faith today? And it's just been my experience in life uh, speaking and working and counseling with thousands of people. There's a whole lot of Christians out there that don't walk by faith. They walk by sight. And what a blessed way to live, to walk trusting in your Lord every day. The prayer, or better known as an intercessory prayer, was very, very, again, it seems to me, the context of what's going on here is very relaxed. And when he finally realized what the intentions of God were, that he was going to destroy Sodom, he began to intercess for Sodom. He felt comfortable enough to say, and Abraham drew near and said, Will thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? A very good question. God, are you going to destroy the good people too with all these wicked people? And then he began to intercess, starting at 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, down to 10 people. And I think most of us know the story that though Sodom was destroyed for a lack of righteousness, it is clear that the heart of God was persuaded by the prayer of Abraham. Are your prayers persuasive? Let me back up. Do you pray? That's a legitimate question. Do you pray? God has afforded me the opportunity to work with thousands of Christians. And thousands, many, many, I don't know the number, but many, many of them are in their greatest time of need, their darkest day. I get to see people at their worst moment of life sometimes. But I often ask questions, not provocative questions, but good, honest questions. Do you and your wife pray frequently? You want to know what the answer is? You know what the answer is. Do you on a daily basis pray for your marriage? The truth is there's always a reason why Christians have spiritual breakdowns. It is a cause and effect, and it is spiritual neglect. Scripture reveals that our prayers can move the heart of God. To me, that is one of the most powerful truths that I could ever hear. My prayers can move the heart of God. Your prayers can move the heart of God. Again, the title, Changing History Through Prayer. The psalmist said in chapter 113, verse 5 through 7, Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill. Again, we have a God that is very compassionate towards us. There's countless, countless numbers of invitations for each and every one of us to come to God in prayer. 
Come boldly to the throne of grace, the Hebrews writer said. Now I find it very interesting that he likens the throne of God with the throne of grace. And that word boldly doesn't mean arrogantly, it means confidently come because you're going to receive grace. And I'm a good, gracious God, don't be afraid, come confidently. Oh, what needless pain we bear because we don't take our burdens to the Lord in prayer. Many things have been written on the subject of prayer, and I'm going to mention a few here. He is transcendent. God is transcendent, meaning he's so far above any human being and majestic, but he also reveals his presence and is attentive and compassionate. Even though God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present, Scripture portrays the very real interaction with His people in earthly time and space. And affirm that our prayers make a difference. Our prayers make a difference in the outworking of God's purposes. Through prayer, each of us can help decide which of the two things, blessing or cursing, happens on earth. We will determine whether God's goodness is released towards specific situations or whether the power of sin and Satan is permitted, permitted to prevail. Prayer is the determining factor. John Wesley is quoted as saying, having said, God will do anything in the affairs of men except, <clears throat> men except in answer to believing prayer. God, says, God does not simply command and expect obedience is also moved and affected by what happens in the world and reacts accordingly. Events in humans' action rouse him to joy or sorrow, pleasure or wrath. Men's deeds may move him, affect him, grieve him, or on the other hand, gladden and please him. Prayers move the heart of God. The prayer of Moses preserved Israel. In Exodus chapter 32, we reveal that Moses was on coming on Mount Sinai and the children of Israel were very impatient. He said, I guess he's gone for good. The first incident of the cats away, the mice will play. And Aaron, his brother, didn't do any help. He got right in there and he was a people pleaser. He was very a man who says, whatever you want, do it. And it made God very angry, and finally Moses returned, and Moses besought the Lord as God and said, Lord, why doth thou thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, or slay them in the mountains to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people." And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Now let's make something very clear. God did not make a mistake. Israel really did deserve destruction. They had forgotten, and that's one of our number one sins, is we forget the goodness of God. We forget the answered prayers. We forget the grace bestowed upon Him. That grace which, which is so sufficient, we can't afford to give it to anybody else. We really need to. Some very amazing things happen in the Bible. Jehoshaphat's prayer saves Judah from certain destructions. 
The Moabites, Ammonites, and others came against Judah. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 12 and 13 says, Oh, this is the prayer of Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat. Oh, our God, will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company. Let me just stop right there. What Jehoshaphat was doing at that time said, God, we are insufficient. And you know, I have just learned that there's a lot of Christians, they don't like being insufficient. That is one reason, that is one reason why you'll never receive the grace of God. Because you believe you are sufficient. A lot of self-made Christians, I can do it all. Can I just ask you to come to the point in quick fashion to say, God, I'm insufficient. I need you. For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. God delivered them. In miraculous fashion, God delivered them. The prayers of the early church were very, very powerful. My favorite is found in Acts chapter 12, where Herod, who was harassing the church, and not rightly so, it was all for political motives. He was one of the first, which way is the wind blowing? And if the people wanted James to be killed, they killed James, and now they want to kill Peter. And so he just says, well, i got to have political favor, and he put him in prison. Both were very key instruments in the early church, but Peter was a driving force in the early church. And in chapter 12, verse 5 of the book of Acts, it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. The power of prayer. The power of prayer. Their prayer changed the history. Peter was sentenced to death. Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah was destined for destruction, but prayer changed the course of history. Moses' prayer changed the course of history. God proved he is in control, not kings or political leaders, and we need to understand that it is God that is in control. It's not the White House that's in control. It's not the vice president that's in control. God is totally in control. A sovereign, loving God is in control. Esther chapter 4 verse 6, a very determined Haman, a very narcissistic Haman vows to destroy the Jewish people. And Esther, a strong woman, just a very admirable lady, she said these words in verse 16 of chapter 4. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. What a lady. Incredible. Powerful. God answered their prayers, and the Jews found favor from Ahasuerus. God changed the impossible situation because of the prayer of Esther and the Jewish people. Private prayer is powerful. Corporate prayer is really powerful. 
the prayer of Hannah, one of my favorites in Samuel chapter 1. And many ladies here and before in past generation and future generations will uh, be plagued by infertility, as was Hannah. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child, and will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And of course, that child was Samuel, the very first prophet of Israel. A man that made a huge impact, a man that anointed kings, the man that anointed David and changed the course of history. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35 says, And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. You know, I often have to ask myself, how many blessings are waiting for me in heaven, but I have not been asking for them? I mean, a lot of Old Testament and New Testament figures, characters, knew the power of God. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I don't want to be satisfied with just, well, que sera, que sera. What will be, will be. Which really, in my opinion, from listening to thousands of people, they have that attitude. Well, God is sovereign, so what will be, what will be? Yeah, but what you're not thinking about, what you're not saying is prayer can change the course of your life. And prayer can change history. What about now? I mean, literally the stories could go on and on of powerful prayers in Scripture. But we're not there. It happened centuries ago. It happened thousands of years ago. We're here right now. And we're in a position where it's just not looking real good, is it? And Christians are like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? I'm going to tell you what you do. You pray. You pray. It's not the political figures. They're just little pawns. We serve an almighty God. Each and every one of us, each and every person here has the potential to change history, change your life, change your family's life. It was my prayers, I believe, with all my heart that all my brothers came to know the Lord. Some, for one of them, I had to pray for years. But shortly after being saved, for the very first time, I went home to the Pacific Northwest and they met their new brother. Oh, I'm saying me, they knew me, they grew up with me, but I was a new brother. And I was able to witness to them, and I was able to witness to cousins, and 13 of my family members on that one trip came to know Christ as their Savior. And there's a handful of them that are still faithful to church. It was God, it was God responding to my prayers for the salvation of my family members. Why don't we pray? Again, it's a legitimate question. Why don't 
we pray. That's a whole different sermon. But number one, because of our carnality, we have fleshly appetites. Sometimes I'm just amazed God long suffers for us. I really do. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about Christendom in a whole. Not just independent fundamental Baptist. I'm talking about every denomination, every proclaimed believer. God is amazing. God is powerful. God is infinite. God is transcendent. Far above anything that we could even imagine. And we'll see him face to face one day. Why don't we pray? Well, first of all, we're, we could be carnal. Two, we're just indifferent. Nothing moves us. We're spiritually dead. It's called spiritual neglect. Read the book of Hebrews. Look at it and read it thoroughly. And see how God chided and scolded those guilty of spiritual neglect. I don't need my Bible. Every day that you get up and you don't read your Bible, you are making a decision not to be with God. Indifference, carnality, unbelief. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. But the truth is we are neglecting the greatest power the universe has ever known. Prayer. Number one, prayer will change the history of your marriage. Recent surveys reveal Christian marriages have a lower rate of divorce than non-Christians. 33% of Christian marriages end in divorce, according to the book, The Good News About Marriage, which is a correction of the Barna survey made decades ago, about 50%. And I won't go into the flaw of the Barna survey, but I think 33% is pretty good. In other words, when you get married, you have a one in three chance of surviving that without divorce. That's not good. But again, just my experience working with marriages, counseling literally hundreds, perhaps thousands of people, a question that I often ask is I said, let me get a picture of your spiritual life together. Whoa, whoa, what do you mean? Well, let, talk, talk to me about your devotions. Talk to me about your prayer life. And it became so embarrassing, I changed the lineup. I made them do a little survey to where it was a little less private. You want to know what the results are of troubled marriages? They don't pray. They don't pray. I suggest that by praying with your spouse on a daily basis, Christian marriages could greatly reduce or even eliminate divorce. I hate divorce. I'm the product of a divorced home. I have counseled with many who divorced or children of divorced people, parents. It wreaks havoc. It destroys. I'm going to suggest something. On a daily basis, every husband and wife pray together. I teach that it, it, this at every marriage seminar I go to. And some of the places that I returned to a year or two later, they said, Brother Douglas, we have practiced that one thing, just praying together in the morning before we part ways. And it works. It does work. Mrs. Douglas and I have done this for several years where we embrace, we hold each other, and it is a very short prayer, 30 seconds to 60 seconds. And it's a prayer that goes something like this, God, please reveal yourself to us today. God, we want to know your presence today. God, use us today. God, may we be humble today. 
God, please watch over her family. Please protect them spiritually. Please protect them physically. And I named them one by one. I almost want to tell my kids, stop having babies because I'm forgetting their names. But Mrs. Douglas would say, no, have those babies. Grandchildren are awesome. Let me give you some reasons why you ought to pray together on a daily basis. And let me just say this. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm an advocate for God and God's word and the institution of marriage. Get over your hangups. Humble yourself. Come together and pray. Well, I'm angry at him. I'm angry at her. Repent. Repent. Number one, praying together humbles you. You can't come to the presence of a holy God being proud. There is something about coming to the presence of God that just says, whoa, I know who you are and I know who I am and I must be humble. Praying teaches you to be other focused. And again, let me just poke fun of all of us. Human behavior, it's called sinful behavior. We're selfish. Every last one of us are selfish. I did a virtual counseling appointment a few days ago, maybe last week. I'm not, I don't remember a guy struggling. A good man. And I said, can I pose a question to you? Can I present a question? I'd ask permission, and I said, are you selfish? And he paused. But he eventually said, yes, I am. That's the only right answer. If you don't know the problem, you're never going to find the solution. And the truth is, we're all lifted up in pride, and we're tainted with pride. Praying teaches you to be other-focused. Praying together encourages vulnerability and grace. Praying together strengthens the bond of marriage. Praying together helps your spouse to know your struggles and needs better. I'll never forget the very first time I cried in front of my wife. It was like the forbidden, forbidden reaction. It was like I have to give up my man card now. But in days and weeks to come, she said, Dave, I learned to love you more after that one moment. I mean, the pressure was on, and I felt like I was in vice grips, and I tried to hold back the tears, but I couldn't. That's what prayer does, too. It causes you to know the needs of your spouse. You know, when your spouse is holding you in your arm, and, and they begin to cry because of what they're praying for, men, I'm talking to the husbands, that knight in shining armor that every man has ought to just say, I want to fix you. Why do we divorce? Why are there so marital problems? I am convinced without a shadow of doubt is because husbands and wives do not pray together on a daily basis. Prayer changes people. Praying together reminds you that God is the sole source of life, truth, love, and home. Prayer will change the history of your marriage. By the way, there's no guarantee your marriages will not end up in divorce. But you can be confident if you're praying every day, you're going to live happily ever after. You'll work out your differences. Number two, prayer will change the history of your family. Raising children to become godly adults doesn't happen accidentally. Did you hear that? It doesn't happen accidentally. There has to be an intentional plan, a plan that includes love, patience, teaching, training, setting an example, 
and perhaps most importantly, the prayers of their parents. If you do not pray fervently for your children, I'm just going to kindly suggest, please begin. Because you have at hand the opportunity to change the course of their life through prayers. But we don't. Many parents fail the subject of praying for their children. I'm going to give you a list of things that you want to pray for. And if you would like me to email these things, somehow reach out to me. I'll email you the entire list. Number one, pray for their salvation. Make sure it's a meaningful salvation. And then two, watch for signs of salvation. You say, well, they prayed a prayer. You know what? I'm sorry. And I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but sometimes just because you use words to say, dear Jesus, save me, that doesn't mean you're saved. Was there faith? And the evidence of that faith will be the behavior. Do they develop a heart of God? There's been many people in counseling after they tell me about all their ills in life and their marriage. I just do one of the universal timeouts. And the question I present to them is, um, could you give me your salvation testimony? And the reason I ask them that is because what they're presenting to me does not sound like Christian behavior. And I do understand some Christians can get real carnal. And by the way, shame on us. Shame on us for watching a filthy movie. Shame on us for getting into pornography. Shame on us for talking rude and crude to family members. Shame on us. Pray for their salvation. Pray, pray for their mate. Well, Brother Douglas, my children are only six and eight years old. Right, pray for their mate. Mrs. Douglas and I practiced this when the kids were very young. That is the biggest decision other than salvation is their, who they will marry. And so you need to start teaching and you need to start saying, God, I pray that my sweet daughter will marry a God-fearing man. God, I pray that my daughter, my, 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 my son will marry a God-fearing woman. Pray for their mate. Pray that they'll not succumb to temptation. Pray that they'll stand up for what is right. Pray that they'll be kept by the love of, from the love of money. Pray that they'll remain morally pure. Pray they'll learn to trust God. So many people, just let me give you a time out. There are so many Christians who have a very, very weak faith. I'm talking about adults who have just not connected with the Savior. It's like, well, I, yeah, yeah, I got saved, but I, I just, where, who is he? Where is he at? I'm looking for him. And I just want to say, stop. And so now I have to develop the view for them. This is God. And I have several worksheets. But I'm just telling you from my vantage point, Brother Abdel, there's a lot of young people. There's a lot of adults that's like, God, where are you? I know you got to be out there somewhere because I go to church, but I just don't get you. Boy, you need to have the relationship with God like Abraham had with him. Is it okay to say that we need to have an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father? 
Is it okay to suggest that we ought to tear up every time the goodness of God is revealed to us? Is that okay? Is it okay to accept the grace of God? Oh, wait, you want to do it yourself. I get it. You want to frustrate the grace of God. I learned a long time ago when somebody offers me whether I want it or not, I say, yes, thank you. Now, sometimes, well, no, I better not, I'll get myself in trouble. I was going to say I throw the food away or I throw the donuts away, but I will not turn it down. And God extends his graciousness to us and said, here, it's that enabling and empowering grace. But we say, I'm sufficient. I I don't need it. You're making a big mistake. The grace of God is powerful. The grace of God is transforming. There's a lot of untransformed Christians in this world that feel like Christianity is just doing, 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 performing, performing, performing but really don't know him well at all. Pray that they'll remain morally pure. Pray that they'll learn to trust God. Pray that sin will be distasteful to them. Pray that the boys will be glad to be boys and girls will be glad to be girls. Number three, prayer will change the eternal destination of the lost. I often wonder who it was that prayed for my salvation. Was it Pastor Stephen Bird? Pastor Berean Baptist Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina? Was it Major Bill Tichy, a major in the special forces that had a ministry to the soldiers there at Fort Bragg? Was it Chief Warrant Officer Clyde Connors, who used to be a member here? I don't know, but I want to find out in heaven. Was it my mom? I found out after I got saved, my mom got saved when she was 17 years old, then loved the Lord and was faithful to the Lord. And then she said, but then I met your father. I believe our prayers can provide salvation for people throughout the Hammond, Northwest Indiana area and the Chicagoland region. If we will intercess on their behalf. All I know is that the gospel was presented to me, and I said, hmm, interesting, and put the track in my drawer. And as soon as my roommate left, I got the track back out and said, what is this all about? I didn't realize it then, but that was the very first time I came under Holy Ghost conviction. Knew I was on my way to hell. Prayer will change the eternal destination of the lost. Who in this town, who in this region will sense the conviction of God's spirit because of your prayers? Who will spend eternity in hell because of our prayerlessness? God, touch the hearts of lost people. God, please open their blinded eyes. God, please show them your love all throughout this region. Number four, prayer will change the history of the church. Do you know, if you're not concerned about the church, I'm talking about the local church. I'm not talking about the universal church. I'm talking about First Baptist Church and churches like First Baptist. If you're not concerned, just go talk to Pastor Wilkerson. Talk to some of the spiritual leaders. This is a day and age that is more difficult than probably since... 
back in the dark ages. We've got COVID that has really taken a hit on the local church. We have apostasy, people leaving the churches. I see people that used to go to church, but they're not going to church anymore. Distractions, controversy and fightings amongst members, hypocrisies, the list goes on. Can I ask a question? Can we just be humble Christians again? Can we be concerned about our brothers and sisters in Christ? Can we be concerned, concerned about that person on the row behind you, in front of you, next to you, that is hurting? That they'll cry themselves to sleep tonight? Can we be concerned about the widows? Can we be concerned about the single mothers? Can we pray for them? Can we be concerned about the marriages that are going to fall apart? Can we be concerned about the father who is neglecting spiritual matters? Our prayers have the potential to change the history of people we don't even know. Number five, I'm almost finished. Prayer will change the history of our nation. Prayer will change the history of our nation. In four months, America has nearly done a 180 degree turn. The spirit of the Antichrist is growing stronger and stronger every day. What a great time for revival. Did you hear me? I want to feel the pinch. I want to feel the pain. I want to feel the burden for the country I grew up in. But you know what? Our casual prayer is not going to make it happen. Our casual intercession, oh God, please bless so-and-so and bless so-and-so, bless so-and-so, bless so-and-so. Whatever happened to the effectual fervent prayer? Of the righteous man that availeth much, it doeth much. It makes things happen. Lastly, prayer will change your heart. Hey, prayerless ones. Hey, self-sufficient ones. Maybe you need to get back to the prayer closet. Maybe you need to go on a journey where you seek the God of heaven in an intimate way, the Savior who died for your sins, the sufferings of Christ, the shed blood. Maybe you could get to know him in a very intimate way. I don't want to talk over and over again about the prayers that changed the Old Testament saints. I want to talk and perform the prayers that will change our lives marriages, families, churches, a nation, and most of all, me. I mean, I can't come to a holy God and still hold on to sin. And it is a fact that God will not hear the prayers of the iniquity, but can I just say, the best way to clean up is coming to God in prayer. And it's kind of awkward. I've been there before. It's like, Lord, um, uh, yeah. Okay, Lord, you know me. You know what I've been into. You know what I did. You know what I said. 
You know everything about me, God. I need you. Sometimes the most powerful prayer, they're not eloquent words. I'm just going to be transparent. I kind of get nauseated with eloquent words. It's like out of my ballpark. How about this? Oh, God. It's a powerful one-word prayer. The prayer that I pray over and over again throughout the day is, God, give me the grace to, and then fill in the blank, whatever my need is. Sometimes it's, Lord, give me the grace to love people when they're unlovable. God, give me the grace to show my love to other Christians. God, give me the grace to transform into your image. I'm just not satisfied with who I am in you. God, give me the grace to endure. This is hard, Lord. God, give me the grace to be patient. You see, it's not the, although all grace is unmerited favor. We got to understand that. But this is the grace that Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And he said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in his weakness. That word infirmity is weakness or insecurities. And so he did not take away the thorn in the flesh that Paul besought him three times. He just said, here, here's my grace. And it was sufficient for him or it satisfied Paul. Whether it was physical pain, mental pain, all I don't know. Nobody knows. But what we do know is God's grace was sufficient. Hey, struggling one, a better road recovery, ladies, men, wherever you are at, God's grace is sufficient. That big hole in your soul, that need that you need, His grace.